title of today's message is, Who's Next? Extending the Gospel to the Next Generation. I'm going to be preaching from Psalms 78, 1-8, so you can turn in your Bibles there with me, and let's read that together. Seventy-eight, Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Okay, we'll start at verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, your word is precious and invaluable truth for your people, Lord. And pray this morning, Father, you would illumine your word. You would... You would reveal, you would shed light on your word, Lord, to our eyes and to our hearts. And that your word would work inside of us, Father. Lord, and that we would accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish in us this morning. We as a, as a church are depending on you. I'm depending on you, Father, to do this work. Lord, would you give me strength and clarity of mind, boldness to preach your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, as a college student, back in 2004, I had a crazy summer job. I mean crazy. For for 12 weeks, six days per week, 80 hours per week, I was doing door-to-door sales, families in the middle of Texas. And it was hot, folks. I mean, I'm talking... Bottom of the shoes, rubber sticking to asphalt hot. And every day, I would, I would wake up at 5.59 a.m. I would drive to my sales territory. I would eat breakfast at a local diner. And then I would hit the book field, as we called it. All day long, knocking on doors. And before the day was over, I, I heard a lot of no's. I made a few sales, made a few friends and enemies. And I would come home around 10 p.m. only to do it all over again the next day. You may ask, Jason, why in the world did you do this? (laughs) I hope you were paid well. Well, yes, the pay was good if you worked hard, but, but there was something else 
that made me endure the long hours. Something else that made me endure the hot summer days. The no's and the unfriendly people. And though meaningful, it wasn't the life lessons I learned or the resume I was building or the yeses I got or all the friendly people I met. It wasn't that. But instead, it was this. The simple fact that I saw what I was doing was really helping families better educate their children. See, church, I actually saw that I was part of something much bigger than myself. And so I was eager to participate. In fact, after each door, whether the family bought books for me or not, I was always thinking, who's next? Who's next? Who can I tell next? Who can I sell these books to next? As crazy as it sounds, it, it really was a glorious summer for me. And um, I'm so thankful for it. In church, this morning, God wants us to know that we too are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And it is something, church, that we should be willing to endure long hours for. Something that we should be willing to be turned down over and over for. Something that we should be willing to sweat and toil for. Something that we should be willing to eager to participate in. Something that should always have us asking, who's next? Who's next? And it is this, church. Telling the coming generation about God. Telling the coming generation about God. In Psalm 78, we see that this is God's command to all of us. We must tell the coming generation about God. And this morning from our text, we will look at answering three questions. Okay, Number one, what do we tell the coming generation? Number two, why do we tell the coming generation? And number three, how do we tell the coming generation? Now, before we answer these questions, I want to briefly give you the context of this psalm, okay? This psalm was written by Asaph, who 1 Chronicles 16 tells us was a Levite and a music leader in the service of King David. It's a long psalm, it's about 72 verses, and it it tells the history of Israel's disobedience and God's repeated mercy on them from the time of Exodus, when God brought them out of Egypt, until the time of David. And from this retelling of Israel's disobedient history, we see that God is repeatedly merciful to them. And Asaph, Asaph wants his readers to learn a very important lesson here. It is this, in order for God's people to not repeat the same cycles of disobedience in the future, they must tell the coming generation about God. And so the first eight verses, what we're going to look at today, they really set the stage and they let us know that this psalm, what this psalm is intended to accomplish. And I believe it wants to accomplish the same thing among us here this morning. We about God. Okay, question one. What do we tell the coming generation? What do we tell them? For our answer to this question, let's look at verse five. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. See, God, God has revealed what he wants his people to tell the coming generation. It is this, a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel. Tell them, God says in verse 5, of my testimony and my law. 
Now, what is the testimony in law referred to here in verse 5? What is this? Well, if we look at Exodus 31.18, we'll find the answer. Exodus 31.18 says, And God gave to Moses, when he had made an end of speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And what, what was written on these tablets of testimony? A couple chapters later, Exodus 34.28 tells us, And God wrote upon these tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So, so Psalm 78.5 tells us what God wants his people to tell the coming generation. His testimony and his law, the Ten Commandments. But, but, there is something very crucial to notice about these tablets. And it is this. They do not begin with commandments. Instead, they begin like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, the Ten Commandments begin not with the testimony about what God commands us to do, but rather with the testimony about what God has done for us. With an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, God saved Israel from slavery to Egypt before He gave them the Ten Commandments. Church, we, we must not give the coming generations God's list of to-dos untethered or detached from what God has already done. We must first tell them what God has done. Then, then we give them God's word to obey. Only telling them a list of to-dos will, will either produce a rebellious generation or a moral generation, and both are lost. So, when Asaph says in verse 5 that God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, what he is primarily referring to here is the fact that God saves his people and then calls us to respond to his word. How are we to understand this today? Well, today, church, we have the privilege of knowing what the covenantal saving work in the Old Testament was pointing to. It was pointing to Jesus Christ. God's saving work through Moses, where God redeems his people from slavery in Egypt, prefigures Christ's eternal redemption of his people from slavery to sin. So, the saving work we are to tell the coming generation today, church, is the message of Christ crucified. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are to transfer to them. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is, is the good news about what Jesus Christ has done to reconcile sinners, that's me and you, to God. A good way to summarize this good news is to biblically unpack four words here. Man, God, man, Christ, and response. God, man, Christ, and response. God. God, God is the creator of all things. He is perfectly holy, worthy of all worship, and will punish sin. Man, all people, though created good, have become sinful by nature. From birth, all people are alienated from God, hostile to God, and subject to the wrath of God. Christ, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in Him, and rose from the grave in order to give His people eternal life. Response. God calls everyone, 
everywhere to repent of their sins and trust in Christ in order to be saved. Folks, if we repent from our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. Isn't that good news? This is first and foremost what God commands us to transfer to the coming generation. Not just commands, not just to do's, but rather what God has done. The gospel. Okay, so we see what we are to tell the coming generation. Now, now let's look at why. Why do we do this? Why must we tell the coming generation the gospel? Number one, first and foremost, we tell them because God commands us to. Read verse 5 again with me. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which what? He commanded our fathers to teach their children. God has commanded that we teach our children the gospel. We see throughout Scripture this truth. In Deuteronomy 6, 7, the Lord says, You shall teach them God's testimony and law diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, God wants, God wants their children from childhood to be acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make them wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. As we read in 2 Timothy 1.5, it's throughout Scripture. This is God's command that we extend the gospel to the next generation. Now, we see in verse 5b that God commands fathers to teach their children. And so, in God's order, it starts in the home. Okay? Parents are the primary agents of God for transferring the gospel. But, but, no parent can do this, can do all this without the help of others. The church family also has a very important responsibility by partnering with parents to assist them in this transfer. The church is to confirm to the coming generation what their parents are teaching them is true. They are to come alongside the children and say, as Proverbs 6.20 says, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. The church is also to help children whose parents are negligent in their duties to teach their children. And the church is to assist parents in this duty by creating and serving in contexts where the gospel can be communicated and transferred i.e. children's ministry, parent youth ministry, singles ministry, home group, would be some for us here at Palm Vista. So, before we go any further in this message, it's important for all of us, church, married and single, old and young, men and women, boys and girls, to understand that God's command to teach the coming generations is for all of us. It's for all of us. And in this command, God does not only have the next generation in mind. No, no, God ends, God's end in sight extends beyond the next generation. Look at verse 6 with me. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. This verse, coupled with 5b, spans four generations. Four generations. That would mean God has our great-grandchildren in mind here. This is, 
This is a multi-generational command because, because God is a multi-generational God. He is the God of every generation. He's the God of Asaph's generation. He's the God of your generation. And he is the God of future generations. And therefore, every generation must be told of this God. It's as if God is saying years from now, Palm Vista, as your future generations look back on this church, I want them to be able to say, they told us about their God, and now he is our God too. Friends, we are commanded to tell the coming generation. God does does not consider this to be an option for us. It's not an alternative course of action or simply a preference. This is a command. Now, we, we could just stop here in reasoning why we should extend the gospel to the coming generation. The fact that God commands it should alone be sufficient for us. So we could just move on to point three and talk about how we do this. But church, God does not want our reasoning to end here. He wants us to see why he commands it. He wants to show us his heart for the coming generations. He wants to envision us with his vision for them. So here's why he commands it. Here's why every generation, he wants every generation to know the gospel. According to our text, there are two reasons. One, so that they will hope in God. And two, so that they will keep God's word. Look with me at verse 7. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Well, first we see in verse 7a that God commands us to tell the coming generation the gospel so that they will set their hope in God. This is why. This is why, church, He wants every generation to know the gospel. It's so every generation will hope in God. In other words, transfer of the gospel should lead to hope in God. Why? Because the gospel is knowledge that once it, once it goes into the head, has the power to make a new heart, a heart that hopes in God. This is how God has chosen to design it because God cares that every generation would hope in Him. Not in money, not in possessions, not in building wealth, not in finding a job, not in finding a spouse, but that their hope would be set in Him. This is God's aim, His vision for His people. He wants every generation to say with the psalmist in Psalm 71.5, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, Lord, from my youth. Folks, God wants us to hope in Him because any hope not located in Him, is ultimately dead hope. And apart from, apart from God's merciful saving work through Christ on the cross, we would all have dead hope. But for Christians, there is good news. Why? Because we, we have been born again unto a living hope in Jesus Christ. We know that He lived an obedient, perfect life we could not and died the death we deserve, giving His life as a ransom for ours as He was crucified on the cross for our sins. And that on the third day, after dying on the cross, He was raised from the dead. And after appearing to His disciples and over 500 people, He ascended back to heaven and sat down at the Father's right hand. And we know, church, that He is going to return and split the sky and make all things new and that we will reign with Him forever as heirs and sons and daughters of the living God. 
This is our hope, church. And God is saying, tell the coming generation that so that they too will hope in me. God also commands that we tell the coming generation the gospel so that they would keep his word. Look at 7b with me. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Friends, we have not succeeded in our God-given responsibility of transferring the gospel if our children's heart behavior is entirely contrary to the law of God. We must tell them the gospel so they do not forget it, but keep God's word. He wants the lives, God wants the lives of the next generation to be brought into sync with his word. Therefore, we must transfer the gospel to them. So, here we see God's generational aims. His purposes for commanding us to extend the gospel to the coming generations. One, so they will hope in God. And two, so that they will keep God's word. Okay? He shows us these aims, these aims to envision our generation for such a transfer to occur. What a glorious vision. Imagine Palm Vista. Years from now. The next generation hoping in God, obeying God's word, and transferring the gospel to their future generations by singing about it, teaching about it, praying about it, studying about it, memorizing verses about it. Friends, this is God's aim. And it must be ours as well. Because verse 8, verse 8 warns us what will happen to generations to whom the gospel is not told. Read with me verse 8. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Well, church, sadly, this happens to far too many generations. It's so easy. Every generation is only one generation away from this. It can be as easy as rather than actually transferring the gospel to the next generation, we instead assume that they already know it because we know it and they've heard it from us once or twice. This just usually leads to confusion about what the gospel really is for them. It could be confused with only doing good deeds or only obeying God's laws. And by the next generation, the gospel as we know it is lost. But if, if each generation represented here will take to heart the lesson of this psalm, namely extend the gospel to the coming generation, then we need not repeat such episodes of unbelief. God is faithful to the generations who seek to transfer the gospel. He wants generations that hope in him and that keep his word. Long before we ever cared about transferring the gospel, church, God cared. So let's have faith that this is true and act on that faith by telling the gospel to the coming generation. Okay. We have seen what we are to transfer, the gospel. Now we've seen why we are to transfer the gospel. Now, church, let's look at how. We're going to spend some time here. Let's look at how we are to transfer the gospel. And for that, we turn to Asaph's example in verses 1 through 4. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. 
And before we read these verses, I want to tell you a little bit about Asaph, okay? As mentioned earlier, Asaph was a Levite and a music director in the service of King David. He lived through the reign of David, the ascension of Solomon, the building of the temple, and on into Rehoboam's reign to see the kingdom of Jerusalem divided. And during this time, he wrote 12 psalms. And in these psalms, church, we find a man very saddened with what is happening to God's people. For example, Psalm 82 and 75 reflect Asaph's disillusion with Solomon when realizing that Solomon was not really the prince of peace that would come. And Psalms 76 and 80 reflect Asaph's pain during the division of Solomon's kingdom when Rehoboam took Judah and Jeroboam took Ephraim and the nine other tribes. You see, Asaph saw Israel's golden age turn into something quite apart from what he expected. He saw Solomon, rather than keeping God's commands, turn his back on God and pursue power, wealth, luxury, human wisdom, as well as worship of other gods. And as a result, he saw the kingdom of Jerusalem rip itself apart. And so, if there was ever a man, church, who knows the importance of passing the gospel to the next generation, Asaph is that man. He has seen firsthand the disastrous effects of not transferring the gospel. And he is looking at us, and in an insistent and urgent tone, he addresses us about how we can ensure such disaster evades future generations of God's people. And here in verses 1-4, through four, we find Asaph's answer to how we do this. Two points. Number one, know the gospel. Number two, resolve to extend the gospel. Okay, let's look at the first point. Know the gospel. Look with me at verses 1-3. through three. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. This is a man who knows what he has to tell the coming generation. The the parable, the dark sayings in verse 2, they're not secret. They are in verse 3, things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. You see, Asaph, Asaph knows the content which he has to transfer. It no longer belongs to his father. Now it also belongs to him. It's been transferred to him. And so I ask you, friend, do you know the content? Do you know the content of the gospel? Youth, young men and women, do you know the content of the gospel? When I was 16, I remember telling myself, you know, one day, when I get married and, and start a family of my own, then, then I will care about knowing the gospel. Right now, though, I don't need to know it. This is a lie, young men and women. This is a lie. God, God was merciful to me, and, and he saved me while at college, even, even though I was just completely ignorant. And when he did, I regretted not knowing the gospel sooner. Know the gospel as early as you can. Your soul, your joy, and your future generations are at stake here. Church, we must know the gospel. 
We cannot export what we do not already possess. So we must possess a personal understanding of the gospel. If the next generation were to ask you today, singles, parents, youth, what is the gospel? What would you tell them? Do you have a clear and transferable answer for them? It's important we get crystal clear on this. It's important we know the gospel. And knowing the gospel is not just knowing its content, but it's also knowing it passionately enough that you think about it, reflect upon it, rejoice in it, and have it define how you look at all of life. It must be of first importance to our lives. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Disciplines of Grace, says, the gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, It is the only essential message in all of history. Yet thousands of professing Christians live their lives without clearly understanding it and experiencing the joy of living in it. Church, may we not be numbered among the believers who live out that tragedy. May we never stop concentrating on the wonders of Jesus crucified. May we too be able to say with Martin Luther, I feel as if Jesus Christ died only yesterday. May we know the gospel, friends, for if we do not, we cannot resolve to extend it. Which leads to the next point. Resolve to extend the gospel. Look with me at verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Asaph is a man resolved to transfer the gospel. He knows God's command to his people to tell the coming generation of God's saving work. And not only that, he has seen the disastrous effects of God's people not telling the coming generation of God's saving work. And thus, he resolves, he determines, we will not let history repeat itself. We will obey God. And here is how. We will not hide what God has done from our children, but we will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Asaph is resolved. His desire to obey God's command is firm. It is not going away. Day after day, he will not hide it, but will extend to the coming generation what God has done. What are you resolved to extend to the coming generation? What are you resolved to extend? Parents, God is telling you this morning, you must resolve to extend the gospel. He is is not telling you to resolve to extend to your children academic excellence or to extend active participation in athletic pursuits or to give them the perfect quince or a car for when your children are old enough to drive. Those things are important, but they are not of first importance. They are not what God says we must resolve to extend. No, God is saying resolve to extend the gospel. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Acquiring all of the money, pleasure, and power of this world will bring no lasting benefit to the next generation if souls are forfeited to spiritual death and separation from God. The gospel is what our children need the most. It makes us spiritually alive and it reconciles us to God. Dad, mom, future dads, future moms. Be encouraged. You you may not be able to give your children the whole world. You may not be able to give your children wealth, or material possessions, or five-star 
worldwide vacations, or their own bedroom. That's okay. Because it's not what they need the most. It's not what God has identified as of first importance to be transferred to them. What He says they need most is the Gospel. And so God tells us, resolve, resolve to extend that to the coming generation. And church, we too should be encouraged. We, we may not be able to give our children a big new children's ministry facility. We may not be able to give them a church building or, or a playground where they can run around and play after church. That's okay. God's not telling us we must give them those things. But instead, He's telling us we must give them the gospel. And we can do that. We can tell them about Jesus Christ and the saving work God has done and accomplished through Him on their behalf. We can tell them to set their hope in God and keep His commandments. We can tell them of the glorious deeds that the Lord has done and of His might and the wonders He has done. We can do this, church. But it won't be easy. Like my summer job, there will be long hours. There will be sweat, toil, and tears. There will be rough days. But it's worth it. It's worth it. As you see your children set their hope in God and keep His Word, as you see them transfer the Gospel to your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and on that day, as you stand before God and He says, well done, my good and faithful servant, you will say without a doubt, worth it. Worth every diaper change, worth every hour of serving in children's ministry, worth every mile driven to youth parent ministry, worth every evening spent studying about the gospel to know it better, worth every instant of discipling, instructing your child, everything you ever did to obey God and tell the coming generation about Him was totally worth it. We must resolve to tell the coming generation, church. Will you resolve to do this? Before I close, let me leave us with some points of application. Okay? We'll start with parents, since this command is especially to them. Then we'll move on to the corporate body of the church. Okay, here's one point of application for us. Read the Bible to your children. Parents, do you have some kind of plan for reading the Bible to your children? Is there, is there a plan for how you will impart the knowledge of Scripture and its doctrine to your children so they will be able to set their hope in God? If you say, if you say that you are too busy, then I would just ask, please rethink your, your priorities. This is a command. It's not an option. I would suggest making time to read the Bible regularly. Depending on the age of your child, you can determine what Bible you read them. There are some really, really helpful resources out there for this. You can talk to your pastor or home group leader, and I'm sure he would be able to provide you a list of some of those resources. So read the Bible. Application point two. Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Pray for future generations of your family. Pray they would set their hope in God and keep God's word. You can, 
You can make a list. This is easy. Make a list of 31 things you can pray for your child about. And each day of the month, pray about one of those things. And, and pray with your children. Set aside a time in your day or week to pray with them. So it's not only before mealtime that you pray together. See, praying with them allows for opportunities for you to forgive your children or even for them to forgive you. At night, before they go to sleep, is a great time for praying with your children. All 13 months for me. I don't have much experience, but God's been merciful to allow me to do that. If you're wondering when you can do this, that would be a good time. Next application point. Folks, preserve a passion for the gospel. Preserve a passion for the gospel. May it never be merely information alone, but may it be information that leaves you standing in awe and wonder and happy. Some practical ways to do this, and and these are from C.J. Mahaney's book, Living the Cross-Centered Life. You can preach the gospel to yourself. Memorize scriptures about the gospel. Sing the gospel. Review how the gospel has changed you. And study the gospel by reading helpful books about it. Cultivate a passion for it. Your children, your children will notice and will often be most affected by what dad or mom is most passionate about. D.A. Carson, a prolific author and professor, says this, if I have learned anything in 35 or 40 years of teaching, it is that students don't learn everything I teach them. What they learn is what I'm excited about, the kinds of things I emphasize again and again and again. Make sure that in your own practice and excitement, parents, what you talk about, what you think about, what you pray over, what you exude confidence over, joy over, what you're enthusiastic about is Jesus, the gospel, and the cross. If you were to ask your children, If you were to ask your children what mom and dad are most passionate about right now, what would they tell you? It is clear to them that it is it is clear to them that nothing is it clear to them that nothing excites you more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that clear? We want to preserve a passion for the gospel. Another point of application Become members of and participate in a healthy local church. God intends that the local church be central to the life of his people. So let your children see that you want to lock arms with others who love the Lord and love his church and grow together in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This leads to points of application for us as a church. As a church, how can we practically How can we practically transfer the gospel to the coming generation, church? What do we do as a corporate body and not just at home? Probably the most direct way would be for us to serve in children's ministry. Right? I mean, if extending the gospel to the coming generation is central to future success of God's people, then serving in children's ministry is central to the future success of this church. This is not a minor way to serve here at this church. It's it's major. Now, having served in children's ministry myself, I know that this can be a a daunting, somewhat chaotic task at times. 
kids running around, not always paying close attention, diapers needing to be changed, seemingly unending tears being cried. And in caring for these children, it can sometimes feel like you missed out on all the important stuff happening at church that day. But we see in our text, you're not missing out. You're not missing out. In fact, you're right in the middle of very important work. Thank those serving today. Thank them as you leave. They're doing very important work. And one day, God willing, our future generations will set their hope in God and keep His Word. And on that day, you will have no regrets for all the days you had the privilege of serving in children's ministry. Next point of application is is we as a body provide a godly witness for the next generation. We exemplify lives that display how valuable the gospel is by sacrificially and joyfully serving, by walking humbly and obediently with God, by considering others more important than ourselves, and by outdoing one another and showing honor and love. We, We give them a witness, a godly witness. The gospel is affecting our lives. It's changing me. It's changing. It's changing, Mr. Stubblefield. It's changing, Mr. Fernandez. The gospel is at work. It's changing, Mr. Pino. We give them that witness. And lastly, we proclaim the gospel faithfully. We know it ourselves, okay? And we do not hide it from the coming generation when the opportunity to tell them presents itself. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, The Good News We Almost Forgot, says... The only thing more difficult than finding the truth is not losing it. We must proclaim the gospel, church, lest we too lose it. We must sing about it, teach about it, protect it, and preserve it for the coming generation. These are just a few suggestions. There are more, more helpful suggestions out there. I would encourage you to to pursue understanding and knowing how you can do this effectively. Okay, may God bless our efforts to transfer the gospel church. Let's pray towards that end. Well, Father, Father, you you care about the coming generations. Lord, you You want them to set their hope in You. You want them to obey Your Word. So Lord, You are are the faithful God to to them, Lord. And I pray, I pray, Lord, that You would help us. Lord, You would give us strength and, and determination to do this and resolve to transfer the Gospel. Lord, this is Your Word to us. This is not our preference as a church. This is not a practice we proclaim or tell we should do this is your command and lord so we want to we want to humbly obey that and and honor you and see father even those whom who we've told over and over and over about the gospel lord we want to see them know you lord we want to see them set their hope in you we want to see our youth know you god We want to see our children know You. That coming generations would glorify You. 
And that is work we are pleading for you to do. In Christ's name, we ask these things, Father. Amen.